Good morning and welcome. You always laugh when I under- open up the show, Frank. I've tried to open it up. I've tried to open it up soft. I've tried to open it up hot. I try to go with the energetic. I try to go with the music. I go with the no music. I I'm I don't know what it is, but every time every time we go live, I just sit there and in my head I'm like you know, doing doing live is fantastic, right? And I've done I've done tons of live stuff, even live radio and um and live TV and there's so much that could happen and we literally never we never have that other side of the live you know where things go terribly awry so. no you can't say that do you have any wood around yeah oh yeah where's the it. wood i got it this is i'm not kidding here right here right on the base hold on i gotta go knock on some wood oh no, no hurry hurry <laughs> okay that actually was what so we're good holy cow <laughs> I- you can't do that that's like the co-angler who gets in the boat and looks at you and goes you ever had any issues with this motor How's that motor run? You ever <laughs> exactly. had one of those back in the day? If you look at it, I always just look at it and say, I will not answer that question. <laughs> right, exactly. Because if Why you're like, ah, you- oh, the thing's flawless for 500 hours, you're you're going to blow a rod through the side of it in the first uh, five in minutes. A, in a hundred, in a, in a nanosecond, dude. It's in like you're saying, man, you know, yeah, 95% hookup on this lure. You're, you're going to lose them all that day. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, dude, I ran into a guy in the parking lot in that Buffalo event where we had, you know, 12 footers. <laughs> and he says, I hope it blows like a hurricane. I'm going to win this thing. And I looked at him. I said, young man, you better be very careful what you wish for on this lake. And, we, <laughs> and it blew like a hurricane. And when the tournament was over. I saw him in the parking lot after we did the photography. You know how they do the yeah, photography. Yeah, 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 yeah. After we do the photography, I'm walking back to my truck. You know, I'm carrying that that trophy, and he and I see him. He's like in the parking lot, which I which I found <laughs> utterly amazing because literally everyone blew out of there, dude. The parking lot was empty, and and. I said, hey, uh, I said, how did the wind work out for you this tournament? <laughs> and he goes, I only caught one. I said, I told you, you better be careful what you wish for. It <laughs> uh, like, doesn't it always seem like when you're talking with your buddies, you're like, man, I really need an early boat draw in this tournament. Blah, oh, blah. yeah. Your boat like 180 every single time. And when you don't care, it's like first flight, boat seven. You're like, what the heck? How is that? Even, how does that even work, dude? How about when you? How about when you're absolutely scrambling and you're not on anything and you get boat one? I've never you're, gotten boat one in a big tournament. Yeah, see, I have, and 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 I and I wasn't on anything, like like nothing, like I didn't have a place where I could go. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm running there. I'm like, whoa, I might as well have been boat three thousand for what I had going yeah. in. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> when you're going around to your buddies, going, you got like two morning spots you got anywhere that you're not planning on starting on that you think that you might catch a fish on oh yeah dude it's unbelievable and then and then those turn tournaments turn out to work out well because you 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 just you go pre-fish again yeah you just roll you roll anyway this is day two or (laughs) i told you this is day four number 92 92. eight away from uh from 100 it is already the 10th of uh november time is flying it's flying it is it's coming close to uh to thanksgiving like i said we don't talk politics on btl or day four but i was scrolling uh instagram and i saw the perfect uh thanksgiving sweater 
and all it says is unvaccinated and ready to talk politics. And it says it on the sweater. <laughs> <laughs> to where to your family? To where to your family outing? Uh, I, the, have to, I have to have that. <laughs> the rest of the rest of this week, I will make contact to see if we can somehow get some loaded to the cork. Uh, Oh, Day four, Uncle before. Frank shirts ready to go. We got a got a big show today, a massive show today, uh, yeah, Frank. We'll, we'll run through it. We got a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to talk the uh, ten pounder, and then it's been a minute since we've done a real deep dive show where we go into uh, techniques, tactics, bait tweaks, all sorts of stuff. And you started to tell me what it was about in our three minute pre show meeting, and I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 save it for save the show, it. Uncle Frank." And I am jacked about this because this is yeah. something new in 92 we haven't ever covered it and extremely no, we're, we're, educational i said dude we might go like an hour and a half today and you're cool with that yeah we're going we're going deep guys uh speaking of someone who went deep first of all uh did you, <laughs> did you that was a bad transition i, I didn't mean it like that <laughs> I brought up the live stuff, and now and then here yeah, we now go. we're just on a downhill spiral. Uh, so two nights ago, Jeffries did his second Mark After Dark show. God bless it. He's got to call me when he's going to do that. I know. So so people who who get to watch that obviously you have if you have if you are subscribed to the BTL YouTube channel, or if you're not subscribed, if you just log on to YouTube and watch the live channel, like all the YouTube channels are do this now. But there's a reason why everyone says subscribe. So when you like, like if you like Uncle Frank, that helps it with the algorithm. The more likes, which right. is more suggested, which grows more, which that. leads to more sponsorship, which means more day four and BTLs. If you subscribe, then you can click on the little bell, and that means every time BTL is live, it goes ding, and it's just like a text, and it's like, hey, BTL or day right. four or whatever it is is live. So that's why uh, the subscription number and the live stuff. So the people who were live knew that Mark went live at like 9, nine ten at night. Yeah, see, the crazy thing is, is that in, in the evening, okay, what I do, because I, I'm going to be honest with everybody right now, my phone never stops from the time I wake up to the time I shut the phone off. And so at night, there's a certain point in time where I shut the ringer down. I shut all the volume off of everything um, because I don't want to hear the phone. I want to yeah. chill out. I want to watch something on TV, slam down a beer or two. And I don't want to, you know, I just got to disappear for a while. And so that's why I never get his after dark stuff. But if he, but if he, tells me it's going to be there then i'm going to get i'm going to jump on well absolutely um, you know what i mean and so so i'm going to have to call him up and yell at him because i i need right. to know well he did his uh mark after dark and i had a, a chance to go back and listen to it because i was asleep because i have to get up at five the next morning to get ready to come in to do the uh btl show uh but it was at a, an eclectic mix of hard rock bowling and fishing talk for about an hour okay. and a half. And the other thing was it was on his birthday, too. November. Oh, oh. hey, happy yeah. birthday. <laughs> He's going to exactly. kill me. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, had, I had passed that. Well, I didn't feel too bad because I remember specifically there's been two years, maybe back-to-back years, the last couple of years, where we came in and did a show on my birthday and he didn't mention it. But that, it's neither here nor there because, you know, once you reach a certain age, I think. But he did a mark I, after yeah. dark on his birthday. Uh, and remember we ran the uh, NSU bowling promo on day four like the yeah, with yeah. the lightning and the storm right. is coming yeah, and yeah, all yeah, that yeah, well yeah, dude yeah. he's like rolling with it but his recruiting budget i guess doesn't cover it's specifically for 
recruiting, right? Like it right. doesn't cover all of the other expenses. And SNU is not like a jug. It's not like OU or a right. Big Twelve or whatever. Right. Um, so I I guess he's running a uh, uh, a pr- a promotion or a way to do- to to donate if you want to have like a small part in the in the SNU and help Jeffries along with his goal. I predict they'll win a national championship within three years. Yeah, I don't I mean, th- is that bold? I don't think that's bold. No, I I don't think that's bold at all. Because I mean, anybody that knows Mark knows he doesn't set himself up to fail. No. Um. So I don't think that's bold at all. Um. The other thing too is I think he's a great coach. Um. He's got a knack for it, and he cares about the students, and and that's that's the other that's the other part of what rounds him out is he legitimately cares about the students. Um. It's unique uh, because obviously for me and my world, um, bowling was never a part of my world. Um, I knew I knew some bowlers, um, but it was never a part of my world, mostly football, baseball, you know, what my boys got into and soccer, what my daughter got into. But um, but I think it's really cool because colleges, they offer so much to the student that's willing to participate. Um, you could go through college and not participate. And what I mean by that is I don't mean going to school and doing your homework and getting good grades. I mean, participate in the collegiate environment, um, which is a fantastic thing because that's where all your future contacts come from. That's, you know, that's how you create your business relationships and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, 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 awesome i think it's Mm -hmm. fantastic so he's doing like a donation slash giveaway deal uh we had the link up on the site but then he wanted to make sure it was dialed in so look on basszone.com that's old school you got to go to the website now we still have tons of people who go to the website watch day four through the website and things uh but the majority if you are just a youtube you in the next coming days you'll be able to go to basszone.com there'll be a link uh on the top and it'll explain how you can get involved and have a small part in the snu bowling that is led by Mark Jeffries. Good stuff. That's fan. I'm, I can't wait till the season gets going. I want to see what he's got cooking. Yeah. It's a, the dude does not lack passion, Frank. No, but, but no successful person does. I mean, think about it. You have to have that. You have to have that in you to, to keep pushing yourself. Cause I know for a fact that when the chips get down, if you get down in the mud with the problems you you have a hard time climbing out but if you're always looking for a a, a different avenue a better approach um i th- i think you that's how people make it to the top i really do absolutely all right housekeeping uh housekeeping. i know we always go through what's going on there's always some changes some additions some opportunities uh, available in every day yeah. for and especially as we head towards Show 100, those will increase. But yes, what are we looking will. at? Uh, what are we looking at okay. over on uh, LureNet, Uncle Frank? All right. Well, first thing, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to jump a little bit. We're going um, to go. I'm just going to remind you guys that the Bank and Creek uh, bundles are available. Great Christmas gift. Remember, there's a limited supply of these things. Uh, we we tore into it. Um, in the last episode yep so you know what's in there there's also a discount coupon in here there's an illustration by i was unaware someone posted on the comments from last week's show that those are numbered one through 300 
Yes, they are. I Each believe. illustration. Yeah. So someone yeah. could get illustration number seven? Someone could get illustration seven. Someone could get illustration one. Um, there you go. So so that's there. Okay. There's a there's a I'm excited because anytime a Norman color comes out, I get jacked up. So the speed end is on the paint shop in CW Craw. I'm, I've you, got it pulled up right yeah, now. Yeah, pull it up because you can't tell me this won't maul them on Table Rock. Look at this color, dude. This color is fantastic. Hold on. I got to go back to this. That's switchy back. So we're not dyslexic. Okay. I, can't, I can't deal with me on the other side of the screen. There it is. Yeah, that's that's just money, man. Yeah, that'll be good from now all the way through the spring. Oh, absolutely. And I like it because it's like that muddy brown color. Yeah, and um, I think we also did a day four on different crawfish colors and yeah, patterns and when you go red and orange and yellow Correct. and all that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. So uh, so check that thing out. It looks it's It's spot on. It's spot on. Clay Williamson would like to know if the CW Craw is named after him for Clay Williamson. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, Clay, because you participate so often. We had to give you some shout-out, man. Oh, Clay's back to the uh, photo with the kids strapped on. I think he had his 11-pound PB up there as his photo for a minute or two, but he's back to well, is, the... Is he, I just have to know, is he using his child to compare the size of the bass? <laughs> you know how you put a you put a quarter by yeah. something to show size. <laughs> uh, do you remember that song? Kelly Jordan used to come out to it. Five pound bass. I don't remember. Have you, heard, you haven't heard it. Lord have mercy. It's a five pound bass and blah blah blah. And then at the end it goes. He's as big as a damn baby. <laughs> you never heard. You never heard that song, dude. You need to make no. a note and listen to. It's it's old. It might be a Robert Earl Keen song. Holy smokes! If dude. if they're in the in the comments, I'm sure. I mean, it's like a le- how have you never heard that? Because I don't know. I mean, you pack a lot of stuff inside your head, man. The only thing I pack in my head, yep, is lures, it's a Robert man. Earl Keed song, Five Pound Bass. That's but there is a line about it being as big as a baby in there. Well, there you go. There you go. It's it's a, one of the top three fishing songs of all time. That's so funny. <laughs> so he said we're that going. kid helps helps him dead stick by accident. There he, He's there always dealing is. with the. Well, that's like the co-angler, you know, when you're in when you're in a tournament and the co-angler gets a backlash, and he's sitting there peeling it out, peeling it out, and all of a sudden he gets it out, he starts reeling it in, and he's got a five pounder on, and you're like, oh my god, that's a two pound call for me, man. <laughs> that never has that ever happened to you. Uh. Yeah, no, I vividly remember that, but not in a tournament. It happened at Kurt Dove's Pro Bass Camp one time when you're dealing with the kids. And he, yeah, he, but that doesn't count, man. It's he backlashed his, backlashed his jig, and then when he <laughs> reeled in, he just kept reeling, and there was nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean, nothing. Like, he just was like, what's going on from the back of the boat? <laughs> the fish is swimming up there. <laughs> Five-pounder swimming off with his jig. That's so excellent. But that I can't remember that. I can't remember that happening in a tournament. On- yeah, that's, that, that stuff never happens to me. Ever happens to me. But anyway, huh. so yeah, so then, so back to, <laughs> we're getting so, this show's going to go all over the chart. So, I love it. So we're, so getting back to, to LureNet. So November 14th starts all the Black Friday sales. You guys have to pay attention to these Black Friday sales because 
bulk bundle packs are all going to be 20% off. Norman's, Norman crankbaits, buy two, get one free. So you got to, and this is just a small smidgling of what's really going to be going on starting November 14th. Um, And then, of course, the the DIY section in the paint shop, you know, because winter's coming. So you guys can get your, your, you know, body blanks and you could start painting and and doing all your things. So pay attention because there's going to be a lot of great, great blacks. Frank, uh, I'm I'm looking on the lure net deal. So like. Okay, let's say you're a day four listener and you want to get some of this stuff and you just want to uh, lure net whatever, Pradco uh, gift card or something that your wife can just get like a hundred bucks for you and then you can like use it to buy the. Does that exist on there? Are you aware of that? Did I put you on the spot on that? Like, are there. No, I, I don't know, but I can make it exist. I think that would be. I mean, if you could. You know what I mean? Don't you think that'd be good then? Yeah, I do. I think I'm that going might, to... might be like an off air thing to talk about, but I think. Because, I mean, that's what the. No, I'm writing it down right now. Okay. Because, I mean, if I'm like, if my girlfriend was like, hey, go on there and get some tack or a or a bit or something for horror. I'm like, I would have no clue on how to do that. Right. So you could so she you would get yeah. a gift card and give it yeah, to and her. And then you can go on and if you want to buy yeah. one or two crankbaits or whatever, when a new color comes out, boom, you can use a gift card. And now you're set on day four. Yeah, dude. Perfect. For I'm, the I'm foreseeable gonna... future. I love that idea, actually. And I, I like just ad, ad, ad suggesting it and then not having to deal with any of the logistics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's okay, too, man. <laughs> that's all, all right. right. Uh, are we good on the on the odds and ends and the deals? Because I want to get into this 10.15-pound smallmouth, Frank. Dude, is that a giant smallmouth or what? Okay, you uh, let me get this straight because I've been pumping this all week and I hope it wasn't false advertising. You and Frankie were Liar. in the, in no. the vicinity on the water when this thing was caught, apparently. Well, you say the vicinity, we were several miles from the, where it was actually caught. Um, That's is that you're saying that like it's a long distance. That's a 10 pounder. I mean, I was a thousand miles away, Frank. You were on the water, like you're it could have technically swam. I mean, it you well, were like there. Well, no, I, I, I actually, you know, when you're talking about Lake Erie, nine miles is, is an eternity. There's so much, there's so many things to fish in a nine mile stretch on Lake Erie that you could have been, you might as well have been a million miles away from that 10 pounder. Um, fabulous, fabulous fish. Um, smallmouth are, to me, smallmouth are probably my favorite bass and spotted bass probably come a close second. And the only reason I say that is because spotted bass and smallmouth have similar tendencies. Um, and spotted bass, to me, I don't get to fish for them all the time. So they're so I really like the spotted bass. The smallmouth, you guys got to understand something. I have not really been um, venturing out on Lake Erie a lot lately. Um, I've until my boat is 100% perfect, I'm not taking that gamble, uh, especially this time of year. Things can be volatile. So I haven't really been poking around out there, but Frankie and I had gone out there and um, and we met one of his buddies up there, uh, Ryan Hartman, fantastic smallmouth dude. Um, so we, we all met up there and then um, I, I was with Frankie and then, you know, we split, we took off went our ways we we ran into a lot of the usual suspects um 
when we went out, Clapper was out, you know, a bunch of dudes were out. And um, it took us, it took me and Frankie a little while to dial in what was going on, to be honest with you. Um, we, we ran some hunches. Um, I, I didn't get on the front deck the entire day, even though he was using forward facing. Um, I would jump up there to see what he was looking at. Um, but for the most part, you know, he did what he does. And I was basically a quintessential co-angler for the day. Well, we, we wound up later on in the day, we started dialing things in and started catching them and we caught some nice ones. Um, we ran into Ryan later on that day and he had, he had a solid bag. He, he was, he was pushing 25 pounds, 24 and change. Um, he had a solid bag. So there was a lot of big fish being caught. Um, and it was, a lot of fun. I had no earthly idea, okay, what was going on nine miles from where we were at. <laughs> I had I had no earthly idea, and um, when I got off the water, it really like legitimately. I think it was that night. Um, I got a I got a um a text from one of the guys at, at Miller tech batteries, send me that text. And at first I thought it was a joke. You know what I mean? I did. I really did. Because here, look guys, a five pound smallmouth in Lake Erie by scale studies by the DNR is a 15 year old fish. Okay. So I don't know if you double that for a 10 pounder, which makes it a 30 year old animal. Or if after they get to be five pounds, that would, would, however they determine, you know, how old yeah. it takes to get there. If that starts to go down and they start putting on the meat, you know what I mean? So I don't yeah. know how old that fish was, but it was definitely well over 15 years old. It, um, it was so. 23 and three quarter inches by 19 and three eighths inches. No, I thought it was 24 inches long, 24 inch girth. I'm looking at it here. When it was all said and done, the official weight was 10.15 and measured 23 and a quarter by 19 and three eighths. I don't know. Wow. I'm just looking at the wired to fish release. The thing that to me was how pretty it was. I oh, mean, it dude. didn't look like an old warlock. No, spectacular. These fish, these fish were gorgeous, spectacular. Um, they were, I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, you know, smallmouth are beautiful. Like, like a lot of times I'll catch them and they'll be black. They'll literally look black with hints of brown in them. And those ones are buried up in the rocks they're literally on the bottom right now because it's getting into the winter time. Everything is suspending. Um, and so their coloration is spectacular. Okay. We saw the, was it the New York state record that got broken on Cayuga? Um, we've seen this 10 pounder. We saw Dakota Ebear with one pushing eight out of New York. Yeah. Uh, I know this question has been asked, and you're probably better to answer it than just about anybody. 
are are we headed towards a wave of mammoth smallmouth? Was this just a freak deal? Is it a combination of education and forward-facing sonar and social media that shows what's out there so you have more educated anglers yeah. putting their bait in better areas? What's the future hold for this? I mean, is this going to be a common or a semi-common thing for the next three or four years, these mammoth freak show Sasquatch smallmouth? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head, okay? The information world is getting tighter um it's easier to get information today um the knowledge out there is is a lot quicker you're getting it a lot quicker back in the old days you had to wait every month till a magazine came out now you're getting this up to the minute data okay and then of course the advent of electronics today is really making this possible more commonly possible let's put it that way because with side imaging forward facing um down imaging you're literally seeing the fish's environment where before like guys had to be really good with their 2d sonar to understand it um now with side imaging you don't have to be that good you can just cover water and look for stuff um if you're willing to put time in on the seat um you you can find stuff. What was that aging you threw up there? Ryan Hartman said initial aging was fifteen to seventeen. Okay, so so that fish just started packing on the pounds, man. <laughs> that was a glutton. That fish that fish was uh, obese. <laughs> okay, so here's the next question: How you're around these suckers now? I mean, you you are now plying the waters where there is double-digit smallmouth, which I highly doubt crossed your mind before this, right? Like, you didn't think there were 10-pounders swimming around in Erie, did you? No, I mean, I kind of figured there, there, it has to to have some, dude. I mean, before this, I think, um, might have been, it might have even been Randy Van Dam. Didn't um, he catch a nine-pounder? I know it was big. A a bunch of years ago. High eights or something, anyway. Might have been, but, but. But when you when you're looking at an eight or a nine pound fish, okay, yeah, you have to assume that ain't that's not the only fish in the lake, yeah, of that magnitude. And look at the mass of Lake Erie. I mean, Lake Erie covers a multitude of states in Canada, dude. There's fish in that lake that have never seen a lure, okay. So, absolutely, you know, there's smallmouth in that lake that do nothing their entire lives but chase pelagics. Okay, so if you you figure that if a if a smallmouth is on pelagics, occasionally they get caught by the walleye trollers. Okay, and they're always giant slobs of smallmouth. Yeah, they they could literally there could literally be a lot of double digit smallmouths out there. But your needle in the haystack, right? You're you're talking about you know hundreds of thousands of square miles of water. What impresses me about this is I think they seem to do it right. I don't know what happened to that fish, but it looked healthy. They were able to contact the right agencies, get a right yeah. weight on it. Uh, it always seems like there's smoke around these giant fish that get caught. This seems like the cleanest, most yeah. well-executed, catch-weighing, documenting, measuring deal that has gone down on one of these generational fish. Would you not agree? Yeah, and there's a few reasons for that too. One is the cold water temperature. Um, they they survive way better in the colder temperature. Um, if this was a summertime fish caught, it would have been stone dead by the time they got it to the scales, because they can't smallmouth. 
stress to the wall temperatures over 70 degrees they stress so fast it isn't funny they are they'll start changing color immediately in your live well once their eyes start to get milky that fish is never going to live so so there was a lot of things going on um with that fish you know just the wired to fish deal real quick there just a lot photo of it um so i think you need to so if you're going out there i think you need to Okay, you need to, A, know exactly what number or have direct line contact of someone to call should you catch this fish, especially if it's after hours, so you can get a hold of a DNR guy. I'm thinking for you, Frank. You need to have this at your fingertips. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And and anybody who fishes in anything that might have a, a fish that they want to turn in, you need to have a, a pliable tape measure, one of those ones that you can get the girth of the fish with yeah, you instead of it. just fishing line. You, you um, use a um, sewing tape measure for, for making... Okay, so you need a sewing tape measure. You can get a scale certified, right? Like a handheld yeah, scale? Yeah, you can. you can. So you need to have that certified, the call, that tape measure, and then a 26-inch bump board. Yeah, essentially. And, I mean, dude, if that opportunity presents itself, I mean... If that opportunity ever presented itself to me, I think I'd have a heart attack. Um, because... I don't, I don't like, I don't go like the true trophy hunters. Like I don't truly trophy hunt. I just go catch fish. Yeah. Um, it's like deer hunters. There's true trophy hunters that hunt for deer and they'll pass on bucks that anybody else on the planet would shoot just to get a trophy. Um, you know, I just love fishing and I catch a lot of fish in the, you know, four to six pound range. But I'm not really a trophy hunter. I mean, if one comes my way, it comes my way. Okay, I grew up in... Read that. Read that, man. Kirk says, I grew up on the Canadian side of Erie. There's fish over there of every species that would shatter records. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I just don't. All right. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. 30 minutes in. A lot of noise going in. Oh, 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 wow. I'll just go. I'll just go full screen and give you the floor after that transition, Frank. We're talking noise or no noise today, boys and girls. Ooh, we got even got some noise in the background. We have to address noisy baits versus silent baits. Um, Matt's laughing. I don't even know what's going on, dude. That was just smooth. I liked it. It was very smooth. Um, So we're going to talk about rattles, uh, and I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff today, and then I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you a bait hack that will blow your guys' minds. Um, And it's not necessarily hard to do. It's actually insanely easy. Okay, so first of all, I want to talk about rattles because I am 100% a rattle fan on everything I flip and pitch. I, if I'm flipping, pitching, it's got a rattle on it. Okay. That's just my psyche. I've, I, because if I'm shaking a jig down there and just shaking it and it's making little clicky noises, I'm, I'm a happy guy. If I flip a lizard somewhere and I'm lifting it up and down and it's clicking happy guy. Okay. I, 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 
on anything I'm flipping and pitching, if I if I rig it Texas style, okay, here, I might as well just rig something real quick here. If I rig it Texas style, and I'm going to show you this too because this is important, if I can see what I'm doing here. All right, here we go. So I'm, I'm rigging a bait Texas style real easy. Everybody knows how to do it, okay? And this happens to be a, a yum spine craw. So, all right. So now the thing I like about the spine craw, and I'm not digressing, but it is a digression. It has a spine down its middle of its, thin, its uh, back. So when you rig it, your, your hook is perfectly in line all the time because it's got, it's got an automatic, you know, straight centering, centering, yeah, a centering align, alignment point. Okay. So, so when I'm putting, when I rig a Texas rig bait, all right, I want my rattle. And I happen to have rattles here, if I can see them. When, I, when I'm when i rigging my rattles on anything Texas rig, I want the rattle perpendicular to the hook. So the rattle's going to run the same way. This is because when I'm fishing this bait, it's got the slip sinker on it. It's going down and up and down and up. So the rattle is then going with the bait when it goes down click when it goes up click so all my flipping baits get the rattles parallel to the hook okay so with this with the spine craw the other thing that's nice about the spine craw and here i'll just take a new one because i'm going to trash that one what the thing i like about the spine craw when you, you put a rattle in this bait what i do is i just go and it's perfect every single time. I, you see how it's got the ridges on it? So what I do is I just go in between the first two ridges with the rattle. Oh, wait, I grabbed the fat rattle. I wanted my skinny rattle. So you got different size rattles, too, because we're talking about rattles. All right, so what I'll do is... I'll take it, and and here I use the skinny rattle in this because I'll tell you why in a minute. So I put it between the first two um, lines, all right, and then I'll bend it down, and I make it nice and parallel to the bait so it's not bent or out of shape. The bait's nice and straight, and the rattle's in there. It goes right, see the hole where yep. I put it in? So when I rig the, when I rig the bait on the hook it's in perfect ouch it's in perfect position every single time so i'm not going to hit it with my hook okay i'm not going to hit it with the hook and then when i put it on when i rig it the rattle is in between the hook point which is here mm -hmm. and the front of the hook the rattle's right in between there so it doesn't get in the way of my hook set that's how I rig all of my... Can you hear that if you shake it? Oh, yeah. It's very t It's very quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can hear it clicking. So here's the reason That's a I... crawfish do... click. Correct. So here's what happened. I, ha I have a 125-gallon aquarium, and I had bass in it, crappie, crayfish, you know, this typical natural animals that are around here i had in my aquarium so i got a thesoscope thesoscope stethoscope yeah 
and you i put it on the glass by the crayfish when the crayfish get to the glass i put it on there and listen to it they tick and they click they literally just go you can hear it and i was like holy smokes so when i that's why i like this i like the tiny rattle um they make different size rattles okay they make bigger rattles and tiny rattles. So I like the tiny rattle, especially in all my crawdad imitating baits, because it sounds exactly like them. All right. It's not loud. It's not obtrusious. It's just that little, that little clicky stuff sounds just like them. So that's what I do in all, all of my um, crayfish imitators. Okay. Now here's something else. I'll do it. I, I rig. So here's what I do. I put rattles in my shaky heads too. And the rattles in my shaky heads, same thing. I'm putting them between the hook point and the screw lock. So the rattles in here. And again, it's parallel to the hook shank. So when I'm doing, when I'm doing the shaky head, it's clicking and ticking when the shaky head moves. Okay. My football jigs all have rattles on them too, but I use the, the, the Mickey Mouse ear collars to put the rattle on the outside of the collar. All right. Um, Cause I don't yeah. put any rattles in my trailers themselves on my jigs because I want the most action out of that trailer. And if you start putting in those hard um, brass or glass rattles in the, in your trailer, you're stopping your trailer from undulating. It's give, it's making it stiffer. So I don't, that I don't do that. Um, I use my skirt collars for that. Now I'm going to show you something. Well, I'm going to tell you something too and show you. So sometimes I put rattles in my wobble heads. Um, and sometimes I put rattles in my chatter baits, but here's the thing. You have to look at the wobble head and the chatter bait. Okay. What do these baits do? catch fish well besides catch fish when you're reeling them in okay they're going side to side left to right this wobble okay. head goes crazy left to right left to right whatever you're doing so in this instance instead of putting the rattle parallel i put it perpendicular to the hook this is juice okay so it goes in perpendicular right in the center of the bait no no problem right into the center of the bait, perpendicular. So when the bait goes back and forth, yep. it rattles going back and forth as it's going. I do the same thing with my chatter baits, stick it in perpendicular to the hook because the chatter bait goes like this. And so then it gives you, it gives you a better noise option. Um, you know, my soft bodied frogs, I always put rattles in my soft-bodied frogs. Um, what I do, though, there is I don't use glass rattles. I use the the jig, the little jig rattles that clip into the mouse ears. I just cut the tab off of them and shove them right in the back end of the frog. Um, so there, so that's making noise too. Every time I'm moving my frog, it's bouncing around in there and making noise. Um, Sometimes, okay, so like yum breaking shad or a zoom super fluke, I'll put rattles in those too. Um, and then what I'll do is sometimes I use the rattle as the weight to give me a little more weight so the bait stays a little bit deeper. Um, 
but I'll put rattles in there. Like if I'm drawing fish out and they're not committing, I'll put the rattle in. But for the most part on my breaking shads and my, my, my zoom super flukes, um, I don't start with the rattle ever. I let the fish tell me I need to add noise to it or not noise to it. Um, and then I'm not using massively obtrusive rattles. I really only use two sizes. It's of glass rattles. I use two sizes. I think one of them's called, they're medium and small here. I'm going to try to do this. If I, no, 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 I'll drop it on this Berber carpet. I'll never find it until oh. it goes in, until it goes in my foot. And then it'll break after you, step on it and then you have a glass shard all right those are the two rattles at uncle frank one of them is the fat and one of them is a skinny those are right and and this is not the biggest glass rattle they make it's the middle size and the smallest size and those have what inside are those lead looks to me like it's like it's lead in the smaller one yeah no th these ones are lead both yep. of these are lead that's a great shot Okay. So, so, so those are the only two rattles I use other than the black ones that clip onto the mouse skirt for the jig. Yeah. Okay. Which is a totally different deal. Right. So, so we know now that, okay, if I, if you see me flipping, I got rattles on. Okay. If you see me, um, wobblehead football jig chatterbait, um, there's going to be rattles for sure on the football jig. Maybe not on the chatterbait, maybe I'll, I'll do that accordingly to what I need. Okay. Usually on the chatterbait, I'm putting the rattles in if the water's really dirty. Okay. I want, not only do I want them to feel the movement of the bait with their lateral line, I want them to hear something coming. Um, I never put a weight in, a rattle in a drop shot. I never add a rattle to anything I'm Carolina rigging. And Ned rigs, I never put a rattle in a Ned rig unless I'm using a heavy Ned head like a quarter ounce or heavier and I can fish it like a jig head worm where it's banging on the bottom. Cause, cause here, here, here's, here's a lot of things that get confusing. A Ned head will stand up like this, but that's not what makes it the Ned rig. What makes it the Ned rig is the design of the head and the bait spirals on the fall. Okay. That's, that's the advantage. That's the advantage of a light, a very light Ned head. Okay. When you start to get into the heavier ones, it m behaves more like a jig head worm, unless you go to the five inch dinger, which I Ned rig a ton, the five inch dinger and the Magnum finesse worm. Mm -hmm. I'll Ned rig these two. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm compensating for the jig head weight. So the bait's going to, it's not going to give me a true spiral but it's going to glide. Um, it's going to glide for me. Okay. So that's, that's the, that's the Ned rig stuff. Um, Carolina rig. Now the, the, the most complicated rattle thing here is probably crankbaits because there's a lot of variables in crankbaits and crankbait rattles. Okay. So everybody knows if you got a rattle bait, it's loud it's crazy. And that's just a Cordell spot, right? That's a super Cordell spot. super spot. So then you go into your top water. So I got three of them here. I got a, a, a rattling spook. Listen to this. It's got big, one big BB, a lot of little BBs in it. Makes all kinds of commotion. I have a one knocker. 
Okay. Now the one knocker, which by the way, this is color seven, but um, the one knocker I'm trying to, there, there you can see it. You see how that ball, how much movement yep. the ball yep. has in there. Look at that. It's probably close to three quarters of an well, inch. Well, that ball's movement. also in the back of the bait. Yes, which helps it walk better. Oh, because that's the It sits moves. like that, and then it'll walk better. So listen to this rattle. It's a single, deep, guttural rattle, okay? Now, one of my all-time favorite baits is the Super Spook Junior, and look at this one. I got I got clear ones because I just got one of my DIY kits, but... um. It doesn't move that much. It moves about, it moves literally, I would say, about three sixteenths of an inch. Okay. Now listen to this one. It almost sounds the same, but this one moves more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So each, each one has a different sound to it. All right. Each one does something different. Um, so that, that's the top water baits. Now, I have to talk about crankbaits for a minute. Everybody knows it's no secret. Uh, DD-22s, my favorite, Normans. Okay. The DD-22 has two. They're for balance and noise. Both of these move. Okay. Now listen how deep this bait is. Okay. The reason being is this bait is a butyrate plastic bait butyrate itself is a softer plastic than abs or polycarb it has a lower pitch sound to it as you use this bait these bb's in here or well they're not bb's they're big giant ball bearings but these bearings in here are gonna they're gonna break away some of that plastic and start you're gonna get some powder formation in here um The man teases us with exclusive color number seven here. And here, look at exclusive. That is number seven, color seven right there. Anyway, um, so as the powder forms in the crankbait, the, the sound changes a little bit. That's why if you use a crankbait a lot, you go, oh, this one's special, man. I catch more fish on this one. That's because you've used it for so long. It's it's starting to get nice. It's starting to get right. Okay. Now I want to compare something to you. The Bomber Fat Free Seven, Norman DD Twenty Two. These are my absolute one hundred percent mainstay summertime structure fishing baits. The DD the, the the Fat Free Seven has a bearing in the front of it. Okay, but that bearing does not move. It's got a smaller bearing right behind the hook hanger. Okay, that's the bearing that makes noise. This thing is a one clicker. Listen to this. It's just a one clicker. And you can hear the sound difference. This is ABS. Now butyrate. You follow me? So these are things to think about. The Norman Fat Boy. Whoa. The Norman Fat Boy. One bearing. It's the balance bear bearing and it's the noisemaker. One. That's why I love this bait. So sound, so I pay attention to sound. Sound the bait makes. And 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 why and why is that important? 
the lower the frequency, the easier it is for the bass to zero in on it through his lateral line. So that bass knows pretty much where that bait is before it gets to him or before he can physically see it very well. He already knows where it is. So why do rattle baits work so well? They make all kinds of crazy noise. The rattle baits make noise. The fish can hear it a mile away. They necessarily aren't knowing exactly where it is yet until they can physically see it. So they're, 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 they're keying in on it because they can hear it a mile away. They hone in on it when they see it. That's, that's the difference between that. So now, and the, and the reason I'm, I'm doing this is, is because I, we have to talk about silent baits because this is noise or no noise. So we have to talk about silent baits. So when will, when will I throw a silent bait? Okay, for me, pitching and flipping, never. It's always going to have a rattle in it. I don't care what anybody tells me. That's my confidence. But crankbaits, completely different story, okay? I've gone on rock piles and wore them out on DDs, okay? I go back over the rock pile with silent crankbait and a Carolina rig and catch fish that I did not catch on my first trip through the rock pile. The other thing that I do is if I'm fishing a highly pressured area, I might go behind a guy with a silent bait. Like if I'm square billing, for example, I might go behind him with a square bill that doesn't have any rattles in it, like the, like the Booyah XCS, which, which is the Excalibur square bill. Um, I'll go behind him with that because now I've got a subtle approach. They're chasing. Okay, but they've heard every rattle, every noise on the planet. I'm going to go by with a subtle approach, and I'm going to catch fish that these guys fished past. Okay, um, the other time that you can go non-rattle is if you are fishing, and I'm talking about clean, super clear water, like Winnipesaukee, for example. I, I was literally sight fishing 20 feet deep. That's how clear this lake was. So that there, a silent rattle, a, a bait with no rattle is okay because the fish are sight feeding 99% of the time in clear environments. The bass have a tendency to sight feed more than sound feed. So that, that in that position, it's okay. Now, honestly, my collection of crankbaits with no rattles, mine is incredibly small because I use that silent bait in very specific situations. So I don't need a whole array of them. Okay. Like my normal crankbaits, my bombers and my Normans and, and stuff like that. I don't need a big array of silent baits like that. So I just have a handful of silent baits in my boat. All right. Now, why, why is this important? Why are we you know, talking about this, right? Because um, on LureNet, we're, we're come, we have the uh, the XCS, the Booyah XCS kit out. Mm -hmm. So in the kit, you know, you know what's in the kit. You you already know this stuff. You've got eyes, 3D eyes. Woo, 
I'm like Bernie Schultz the other day. Hey, where's the lure? Um, you I know three... I'm impressed of how well you <laughs> could hold it up because I forgot that. I mean, you do it every show, but if you're not, it's all backwards. It is. It's all backwards. So you have three DIs. You have hooks and split rings. Yeah. And packaging that's not put together. So yeah. you can put your own packaging together. You guys know that clamshells. You got it. Um, and then, of course, you get you get the XCS body, which for custom painters, yeah. one of the most popular body styles to paint. You know the KVD yeah. 1.5, the the Booyah XCS. This is a very popular square bill to paint. Okay, so that's totally but, clear. So we can see the entire innards, the guts, the workings, how all that works, where the weighting is. Right. So there's no no noise. So it's the quiet. ball bearing in there, it's it's uh, stationary. Okay. Okay. Stationary. It's simply in there for balance. So every bait runs right. Okay. It's for balance. It's for getting the bait to the right depth. I gotcha. Which is why on some of the some of the like old 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 DD twenty twos, it you can get it or wiggle wart. You can get that stuck, and that's why they don't run right until you lightly Correct. wrap them on the table because that ball bearing right. or lead ball in there is stuck off center which is throwing it out of whack yeah in fact the first one knocker i think if i'm not mistaken and i might be off base on this one um was a super spot that they had lead in the head um and it didn't the lead in the head didn't move and guys would knock them and knock them and knock them and get that lead chunk to break free and then it would go click 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 it was it was one one knocking noise and, and i believe that's how that happened okay so now um so now you you know this is silent right yep this is the silent xcs so so here's here's this this is my this is, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to tell you guys anyway. Okay. I customize my XCSs to make them make noise. So I can have my silent group because I like the square bill. I can have my silent group and I can have some that make noise. But what I do is I try to make them different than what other baits on the market sound like. So here's what I do. And I'm going to have a video out to show you exactly how I do this so you don't screw this up. Um, I will drill a small hole, okay, right in front, right on the forehead of the bait, not where the pins are to line the bait up to be glued, right there, okay? I'll drill a hole. Now, when I have a rattle bait, that I trash, okay? I save them all. I crack them open, and you'll find that some of them will have um, steel beads mixed with brass beads. Some of them will have steel beads, brass beads, and then spinnerbait arm beads that are hollow and tinny, okay? And so each of these beads make a different noise. And then, of course, the older versions will have lead. And so they, every one of those makes a different noise. So what I do is, um, let me see, where did my other bait go? So I drill the hole, and this, this is, um, I drilled the hole in the top, 
right there. How put, big? Like what drill bit? I use a Dremel tool okay. to to make a pilot hole. And then I gradually increase the drill size to fit the BBs I'm going to drop. So you can pop them in there. Right. So this one's got tiny, tiny, and I mean tiny. They they almost look like uh, spinnerbait beads. Yeah, but there's no other crankbait like that that has that configuration of beads in it. No, exactly. This one has four. So here, I'm going to, they're tiny little steel beads, just like the beads that come on the spinnerbait. Now listen to this, okay? All right, can you hear that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's one setup that I do. The other setup that I do is I have one larger size brass bead that I put in there. You can see it's brass. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen to this. A little louder, a little higher pitch, right? Now I have the other one where I have one lead ball in it, even bigger than that brass bead, just one. Listen to this. Nice and deep. It's mm-hmm. nice and deep, right? So I customize, I can customize these. So if I'm fishing behind other guys, that I'm not throwing something that sounds like they're throwing. You follow me? Yeah. And... I'm not screwing up the action or the bait because I'm not adding 50 freaking BBs in there. I add one to four, period. And that's it. Because if you start adding too much, you're screwing the action up on the square bill. You got to go on how you're sealing that and making it waterproof. Because guys like me have no problem making the hole. It's the covering it up and making it fishable again that I have an issue with. (laughs) Okay, so... So I, I'll get to that. So okay, okay. So when you customize these things, okay, the the, the Booyah XCS um, yep. DIY kits are available on LureNet. Okay? okay. So when you customize these, understand this. Um, I use a single rattle, a lot, a single BB, a lot to imitate clicking of a crayfish. Um, you have your choices between steel, copper, tungsten, and lead. So steel, copper, and tungsten is going to give you a little higher pitch. Lead's going to give you the deepest, lowest pitch, okay? And you can mix and match. You could put one lead with one tungsten or steel with whatever, whatever, whatever. You can make any sound you want to make, all right? And you can experiment with them till you get one that's really catching fish for you. So, so the experiment continues after you make it, paint it, fish it. All right. The experiment continues. Now, the one thing I will not do is take an existing bait like one of these that already have sound in them and add more sound to them. I won't do that. I will only do that to the silent baits because I can customize it better. I have way more control over that. Plus, I don't I like the way. The Norman sound the way they are, and I have too much success on them. And the same thing with the fat-free shads. I have way too much success on them. I'm not monkeying with that. But when you have the silent bait, and as a tinkerer, I'm always playing with stuff. Mm-hmm. The silent baits are fun to me because I can experiment. I can get a sound down. <clears throat> if I get the sound down where it's really effective, I could then translate that into 
a bait that's coming out on the market. You follow me? And I can say, hey, this is a proven sound. You know, the colors will be the colors, but this is a proven sound. And so that's what I do. Um, as far as sealing the hole goes, I use, I buy um, paintbrushes with plastic handles, real cheap plastic handles, and they're tapered. And so, and I'll show you this in my video. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll put the handle in there until it starts to get snug. And then I mark it. I'll pull it out and I cut the skinny part of it off below, just below the line I mark. So then I can stick it in and it goes in a tiny little bit and wedges itself in there. All right. And then what I do is I'll, I'll put some five minute epoxy around it and I'll, I'll stick the thing in there and I'll let it dry. And then I, I cut it off, sand it down. It takes two seconds because it's super soft plastic. And then I'll put a little bit of epoxy because I'll, I'll push it down enough to make a little indent. <clears throat> and then I'll put a little bit of epoxy on that and then it's ready to paint. And that's really all there is to it. It's pretty simple, actually. You, can you do this with ones that are already painted too, though? Like you could buy yeah. the... Okay. Mm-hmm. 100%. You absolutely can. In fact, I would recommend buying some that are pre-painted in a color that you want. And then, then you know that color's catching fish for you on your favorite lake. Then you could add the rattles in there. So go get the XCSs in the colors you want that you know you catch fish on, and then do it, and then experiment with the, with the sound. I think what's <laughs> Frank talks bait modifications. It cost me money, and I ruined several baits. Well, but that's part of the fun of it all, because you're you're actually making something nobody has. John says, Frank, don't you believe it's more a confidence thing? Bass are super hard of hearing and can hear only a limited certain sounds. Actually, sound travels through the water better than it does on land. Um, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. Sound travels in water compared to air. I'm reading this. I don't just know this in my head. Just for FYI. Dude, I was so impressed. You should have just went with it. I was so impressed. Sound travels faster in water compared to air because water particles are packed in more densely. Thus, the energy and sound waves carry that it carries is transported faster. This makes the sound appear louder. So then while you were talking, I also went with what what sounds can fish hear how can they hear it because i know there's stuff with vibration that sound and lateral lines and fish becoming conditioned to certain things because i'm over here thinking well what oh, the they... hell is a deep rattle versus a bunch of rattles like that's a, i mean like we're the ones who are who are saying well that's a deep rattle but but it's very interesting um uh, that that based on whether they have swim bladders or not, which obviously bass have have uh, oh, yeah. have swim bladders and lateral lines, um, and it talks about how you know the that the lateral line is com- comprised of cilia, uh, and it go you know this is similar to the cilia that line uh the inner ears. Each cilium is stimulated by water movement, which is created by the sound, which is their lateral line. So different sounds. We hear that differently, but it is interpreted differently by the fish. Correct. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff on 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 uh, 
prey or food sounds versus fear or safety sounds that cause the fish to either investigate it or flee from it. Right, fight or uh, flight. You can really go down this wormhole, and I would encourage you to because I've done it before, and what it has taught me is that what so what got me was when you're drilling those crankbaits, Frank, you're creating a different sound that those fish may not have heard between three Correct. and four BBs. In my opinion, that's why when a new bait comes out, a new crankbait or anything like that, it is often, I firmly believe it is more effective right out of the hopper when they have not heard yeah. that signature. And yeah. what you're talking about is making your own signature so you know that you have something unique mm -hmm. that those fish haven't heard, which which might translate differently into how they interpret it. They're not conditioned to it. Uh, if they've gotten smoked on a certain crankbait a couple right. of times, they might run from it. Well, here, here's, the, here's, a, here's a true fact. Go to any farm pond, pick up a rattlebait, walk around the pond and throw the rattlebait. You'll, you'll, you'll catch the crap out of them. Wait three or four days, go back to the pond, do it again. You'll catch them, you won't catch as many. By the third time you go back to the pond with the rattlebait, you'll barely catch one. Mm -hmm. Because they get conditioned to the sound. Um, and that's just a fact. They get totally conditioned to the sound. So um, sound is important. Whether they hear like we hear or not um, doesn't matter. It, they do hear sound and they do feel yeah. the vibration. So you have to, you know, that's why I love experimenting with stuff. I have been doing that all my life. Um, I'm never satisfied with anything if I could try to make it better or if I could try to make it more to my advantage to catch one. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is why in Bassmasters I painted a lot of my baits because guys could not get the colors. I think you can. I think you can justify the validity of sound experimentation, though scientifically, which oh, may be the, yeah, hundred percent the smartest line that I've ever said on day four. But I mean, you can go through <laughs> and say, okay, I see why this one hundred percent will make a difference and is worth understanding to the best of our ability as to. Uh, Dude, I'll tell you, so back in the day, um, Sabeel, like the original Sabeel, remember they had that? Oh, yeah, uh, dude. I remember they have. had that uh, rattle, rattle bait that didn't rattle. It just had water in it. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was legit. I have two of them left, and they're paints eating off of them. It's just like clear with water in it. What bait, what bait did they make a long time ago that? The Magic had, Swimmer. Had the hole in the angle in the bill, and the water would... Oh, Patrick's whistle, made so many crazy stuff. Hole. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember did that? Did not catch on. No, it did not catch on. But I, I but I got some when they first came out because I because like you know I'm I'm attracted to ingenuity. Yeah, um, and so I wanted yeah, to see what it was that. all about. Yeah, it was supposed to create some weird whistling trail or something in the water like yes. that they could follow. Yeah, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> but the the deal was I. I remember I went through a couple years out on a little place called Kanawha. That's one of the only grass lakes in Oklahoma. Every winter they'll have different grass in it. You could go through with a uh, XR50. Oh and yeah, dude! Just catch the crap out of them out of the hydrilla. I mean, it's a good trap lake, but it was one of those. Uh, I had some guys teach me out there where you're you're literally basically fishing the trap like a jig. 
when you get it into the grass. You're getting it hung up and you're just and then it'll just yeah, go brr, 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 and pull off. You're you're fishing well, it like a blade bait. Yeah, but but the patches of grass, so it wasn't like carpeted grass, right? You'd have like the way that it's set up was you'd have like these coves and then you could tell based on where all the coots were where the grass patch was. It's before four right. facing sonar. Um and it'd be the size of a pool to thirty or forty yards. But I mean you could methodically fish it. You knew there was it was just a, and the right. fish were in it. Well after you could go through it and it'd be like dong 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 on the XR fifty I would throw that silent Sabeel in there and it was like a whole nother wave of fish that you could go right back through and catch just as many on the silent one when you were only very rarely catching them on the XR fifty. And that was just that was the sound that was a sound difference that was a different variation that those fish had gotten accustomed to that sound exactly and it's very true i mean it's very true they get accustomed to that you know like bottom bouncing stuff like you know flipping and pitching a bass has to put this thing in their mouth they have to eat this thing because it's way too natural it's just way too natural so if they shied away from it they would literally be shying away from a legitimate food source for them where a loud noisy lure on the other hand once they realize that vibration means time out that they'll stop eating it for a while would you what did you pull up there what comment did you oh clay was just talking about oh he definitely when the one knockers came out that there's something that but i think that's the same thing like that one knocker spook the one knocker in the uh what is it called? The XR fifty and XR seventy five now. What's it called now? It's the hard knocker and the one knocker. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Essentially, it's the same bait. Okay. Okay, guys. Guys, we had this. Not not we, not us, but there was an <laughs> argument going around that they changed the bait in the um, in the XR in the in the from uh, from from Excalibur's lipless. XR fifty. Yeah. From Excalibur's XR50 to the the Booyah Hard Knocker package, um, they, they're essentially the same bait. I think literally there's a sixteenth ounce of a difference. Where the Hard Knocker was a slightly heavier than a half, and then the 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 Booyah is exactly a half, because ha- the half ounce lipless bait was the most popular size bait. The three quarters were good, um, but they were definitely for certain air, certain, you know, times. Yeah, Scott, I do use rattles and tubes from time to time. Um, absolutely. Uh, anything I'm slamming on the bottom, that soft plastic will usually get a rattle in it. And during only the month of December, because the bass are in a festive mood, you do use a jingle bell in your rattle, but then go back to a standard, <laughs> a standard rattle for the other 11 yeah. months. Is that what you were telling me off air? Yeah, exactly. And I use the color Christmas tree a lot. So you use <laughs> a Christmas tree month. tube with a jingle bell rattle in it. Correct. Dude, that would be a great little video. Little Instagram video would be to go catch a smallmouth on a, a Christmas tree tube with a jingle bell as a rattle. Dude, wearing Christ- a Santa hat. The Christmas tree color is a good good tube color. Don't kid is it, yourself. Do it's they have gr- that it's, on? It's green pumpkin with um red, green and blue flake. In what tube? I don't know who makes it. We oh, used, okay. It used to be called Christmas tree. It's got a lot of green in it, right? Green flake, red flake, blue flake on, on a light green pumpkin body. 
Good luck finding it. It was back in the old days, man. That was old school. I like that, dude. That was a great, uh, that was a thinking segment. That got me thinking. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, where I live, our lakes are small. They're very, very small. Every advantage that I can put in my favor to catch one is what I'm going to do. I'm not afraid of doing a little bit of tinkering to make it happen. Um, And so, you know, that's just the truth. Um, you know, all right. I got a couple of gr- really good unrelated questions. You want to knock uh, finish out the show on some good unrelated questions? Yeah, let's fire it. We're let's in, uh, we're in OT right now. We're in overtime. <laughs> uh, Neil with a great question. Do we start throwing red crankbaits based on water temper? Is there another trigger point? I think it's about the fish's ocular chemistry based on water temp, but I'm not a marine biologist. But you sound like one, and you stay in the Holiday Inn Express. Um, uh, yeah, the, cold, the the water temperatures, the red crankbaits, everybody throws them in the spring as the water temperatures go from, in some regions, 39 degrees and up. They start to throw the reds. Once the water temperature gets into that 50, mid-50s, they start to wane off the reds, get into browns and oranges, and then get into shad patterns, okay? But the same thing happens in the late in the season, too. As the water temperature starts to cool down, reds can play again in the fall. But the fall doesn't get that kind of attention for it. But you can absolutely catch them in the cold weather months on red. My, my rule of thumb is this. In the spring, where I live, it's going to be ice out. Okay, in in the other regions that don't get ice, it's going to be late winter, early spring. Okay, so down south, it might be February, starting in the beginning of February. I'll start throwing my reds as soon as that water temperature starts to get into the, you know, 54 degree range. I start mixing up my colors with browns and oranges and some shad patterns. Once the water temperature gets over 60 degrees. I'm throwing shad, period, unless I'm fishing riprap or or rock and I'm specifically going for the crawdad imitator. But then I'm throwing real crayfish colors, um, not the hot reds. I'm throwing real crayfish colors, you know, browns and, and green pumpkins and, and stuff like that. All right. Um, I'll just say it. Have you, ever, have you ever considered the fact, you know, there's warm and cold colors? Have you ever, you know, like a, a, a blue versus a red or a pale? Oh, so yeah. Have you ever considered the fact that maybe different colors emit different auras that are sensed by the bass? So we think it's purely visual, but it's actually emitting a different vibe around that they're actually feeling with their lateral line, which is why certain colors work better in muddy water, even when there's zero visibility because the color is actually emanating some sort of different aura or vibe around it. Okay. No, I've never gone. (laughs) I've never drank in that Kool-Aid, but I will say this. If you look at bait fish, shad in particular, and gizzard shad 100 percent 
they change their color in the colder water. The gizzard shad have a tendency to become more purpley pearl, all right, where your thread fins will become, they get, they get, your thread fins actually will get um, a greenish blue hue to them, and they'll start to tinge towards the red pearls. So if you look at that, knowing that, so like, like when I do a lot of jerkbait fishing in the winter, a lot of my jerkbaits are spiced up with purple pearls because that's a definite cold water color that the shad around here have. Well, that would um, explain algae bone. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, so, you know, I pay attention to that stuff too, but as far as the easiest way to understand what color crankbait to throw when is by water temperature is to go early spring to mid 50s. You're throwing reds and oranges. Once the water temperature gets above the mid 50 mark, you start to gravitate to browns, greens and oranges. And then once the spawn is over, you're going shad patterns because now these bass are going into summer. They're going into their summer mode after the spawn, you know, post spawn. And they're totally focused on bait fish. And so that's how I gear my crankbait colors okay. towards. Now, hot shad patterns like citrus, tropical shad, um, chartreuse and blue, those hot shad patterns, I throw those based on depth and watercolor. Remember, the deeper a crankbait goes, the less light penetration you have. Okay, the less light penetration you have, certain colors stop being color anymore. Like after after nine feet, ten feet, red turns to black. So you have to understand that light penetration, water clarity is going to make your bait more visible or less visible depending on what colors it is. And so the clearer the water, the more natural the patterns I stick with. Although there are times in clear water where I do throw hot shad colors and catch them. Because chartreuse to a bass appears to be brighter white, which in dirty water, everybody wants to throw, you know, chartreuse and stuff in dirty water. But I'll throw white pearl in dirty water because that's exactly what the shad look like in dirty water is white pearl. So you have to you just got to look at that environment, see what that environment looks like to you under different water conditions. And that's how you can tell. And remember, if, if, if you could see a foot, a bass can see three feet either side of that foot. Okay. So you have to compare that. You have to understand that when you're looking at it. If you've got six feet of visibility, that bass is, can theoretically see 12. So you have to understand that. So in super clear water where you can see 20 feet deep, that bass sees your bait a mile away. I mean, he can see that bait coming. And and remember this too, the clearer the water that, like if a lake is normally clear, the bass tend to sight feed mostly. As their visibility diminishes, they start to feed on sound and movement vibrations that they feel through their lateral line. And so you could rem you remember that you could pick out wide wobbles versus tight wobbles, natural colors versus hot colors. You could start to you could start to take your color game and start narrowing it down, because I I truly don't carry hundreds of different colors of soft plastics, and I don't carry hundreds of different colors of crankbaits. 
I carry a handful of hot shad patterns, a handful of natural, and a handful of crawdad patterns. And that's it. I don't even make it complicated. Even though I'm a color guy and I paint all this stuff and make all these lures, I don't keep it complicated. But what I find out is that sometimes a, a certain natural shad pattern just works better. So then I'll put more of those in the boat because I'm going to have a tendency to lose more of them. You know what I mean? And I've, I've seen cycles, especially on certain lakes, where lavender shad one year, if you're not throwing lavender shad, you aren't catching them. And then, it, and then it changes to tropical shad the next year. If you're not throwing tropical shad, you're not catching them. <laughs> so if I catch a fish on a natural shad pattern, I always have a hot shad pattern tied on. Because now I'm going to look at something. Did the fish engulf the crankbait? Or was he only on the rear treble hook? Because if he was only on the rear treble hook, maybe a color change will get him to swallow it better. Get him to choke on the thing and I have a less tendency to lose him. Okay. So like I was on, um, uh, Pickwick, um, and I was, I, there was a guy here, a friend of mine that owned a local tackle shop here and he wanted to go to Pickwick with me. So I, I took him to practice on Pickwick for one of the bass open events down there. And I started catching him on a square bill. I started catching him on a, a bomber square A. And I was throwing Tennessee shad at the time and I started catching a few. So I reached in my box and I said, put the chartreuse and blue one on. And he goes, I never catch anything on chartreuse and blue. You're catching them on Tennessee shad. I said, but they're barely hooked, dude. And I had a couple of them thump it and not take it. So I said, here, you want it? I gave him my Tennessee shad. I put the chartreuse and blue one on and everyone had the chartreuse and blue one down their throat. So there's, you have to pay attention to what's happening um, to you on the water to, to, and then you'll recognize the situations. Oh, that watercolor looked like this. I got to throw this color and it gives you a great starting point. That was kind of abruptly yeah. ended. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Clay asks this, um, Clay says, does anyone know what bass sees, feels, hears? I think it's a lot of theory, hypothesis, and little to no fact. Not true. Keith A. Jones's 2002 book, Knowing Bass. Everyone should read this. It's a great book. Have you read it, Frank? I, I have not read it. You need to read it. It's a scientific approach to catching more fish. I think he might have had something to do with uh, Berkeley at the time, but he's a Ph.D., and it literally... Uh, all it is is it's it's scientific fact about what fish, what bass see, feel, hear, sense, how everything works for it. Clay, do me a favor, DM me the link. No, I'm that. the one who's telling you that. I'm telling oh. that to Clay. Clay, oh. Clay said I think that's a lot of hypothesis and theory with little to no facts, and I'm saying here is a book about the facts. You can get it on oh. Amazon. Okay, Matt, DM me that link. Or okay. text it to me. Just okay. text it to me. I mean, it's not a fun... It's, it is an interesting read. It's not... I mean, it's not like bedtime stories for your 12-year-old. No, but you got to understand <laughs> you know? something. A b bass is an animal, just like every other animal. And the only thing they do is survive. Mm -hmm. Everything they do is for survival and instinctual. And so th that's the first thing you have to remember. And bass are opportunistic predators. 
that's the other thing you have to remember. They're not passing up a meal, especially an easy one. So, you know, I mean, this and then and don't forget too. a lot of what we talk about on here is personal experience. Right. Um, not nothing that I talk about on this show is something that I don't or haven't done myself. Um, I just don't, I won't do that. I won't, I won't talk about somebody else's idea. If it's, if it's, if, if I don't experience that same exact thing, um, I, I just won't do it because I can stand with conviction on things that I say then. Heck yeah. Uh, okay. So I do have to clean this up from last week's show and I felt bad after at the end of last week's show, boy, I hope Darren Hill didn't think we were making fun of him. Remember the question we closed last week's show with Frank? I do not. I said, Darren would like to know how do you catch bass when no one else is? Oh yeah, I do remember and then, that. And then we <laughs> then we raucously laughed and then we ended the show without answering the question. So I closed it. I said, Boy, I hope I hope he took that as that's the million dollar question that everybody's been trying to figure out. And if you can't figure it right. out, not what a dumb question. It was strict it was simply a laughing because there's no I mean, there is no magic answer to that. Anyway, no. he he commented on last week's show and said, y'all didn't have to laugh at me like that. But he had the <laughs> laughing face emoji, so I think he took it correctly, right? Oh, he yeah. He's been 100%. having some tough days out there, and no one else at the boat ramp can catch him. Yeah. I so mean, I, that... I wanted to give you a chance to redeem, redeem ourselves and myself to show that we were not laughing at <laughs> Darren last week. Darren, the reason, the reason that... Um, day four is so successful and that people's thirst for knowledge of this fishing game is so vast is because you don't catch them all the time and people want to be more successful and more consistent. Um, I, I wish I had a definitive answer to that because hell, you'd be number one on the food chain always. Um, so no, it wasn't a dumb question at all. It's a, it's actually great because that's what goes through every single angler's mind a hundred percent of the time. How can I catch more? You know, that I, I never hit the water and go, what a great day. We caught 40. I hit the water and go, man, we caught 40. How can I catch more five pounders? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Or, or was that the best pattern? Could I have figured something else out to get bigger fish? Mm-hmm. Sean says, I can only imagine the bedtime stories Uncle Frank told. <laughs> Apparently, this isn't like the end-all, be-all. I don't know anything about that book. I just know I found it very interesting. It seemed very scientific. But David Maddox says, hey, have have Gene Gilliland on and talk about that book. Clay apparently has heard it. He believes Clay's a Clay is your all-time skeptic on everything, though, if we haven't figured that out by now. But he said, ah, sample sizes in that book were too small. So, I mean, take it for a grain of salt. But it is a book that is claimed to be based on scientific Fact. Hey, look, any, any knowledge that you could learn is good knowledge. Any, anybody that doesn't take the time to try to find things out is not going to learn. They're not going to grow. Um, that's why you see people in the fishing world, they, when they first start fishing, their learning curve is like, whoa, it's like straight up and down, right? It's like a winter holding area, vertical. And then they, then they have success, and then they start to plateau because they know a lot. They think they know a lot. They know a lot. They start to plateau. Then something happens. A bell goes off. They learn something new or figure something else out, and their learning curve starts to go up again. 
then they plateau. So, so in fishing, the fishing industry, what your learning curve looks like basically is a set of steps where you learn, you plateau, you learn, you plateau, you learn, you plateau. Now, guys like Jason, guys like Wheeler, okay, his plateau might only be two steps, straight up, plateau, straight up, because the, the, the more you can ingest, the, you stop the plateaus and you, you keep on a steady increase in learning. And that's just the way it is. And everybody learns at different speeds and everybody experiences things at different times. So you have to understand, and there's no right or wrong. Um, it's just keep learning. That's the whole key to the game. Just keep learning. And here's the weird thing, Frank. Um, you know, I've been in the, and, and so have you, but I've been in the boat with a lot of guys who are one percenters at this, covering it, you know, through the media mm-hmm. and asking. And it's interesting. There are some that are very scientific, but a lot of them just do crap because it works. Right. They don't care why or how. Now, it's just me wanting to do a lot of backstory. It's why I follow every single point and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's a personality thing. Like, I don't think, like you said, there's no way it can it can hurt. But there's guys who just, why do you tip the tail chartreuse? Because it works. Why do you add glass right. rat or BBs? Because it works. Like, who cares why it works as long as it works? Right. Exactly. And you're talking about the best in the world. It's not like you got everyone on the Elite Series and the BPT and you out there doing calculus equations on the no. water and measuring the angle of the sun and light penetration and visibility and time of the year and water temperature and pH to come up with the perfect bait at the perfect time with the no. perfect solution. No. And then, and then, but the there bass. are generalities that are commonalities through your experience that you have been like, hey, this works here when, when. And that's what we're talking about. Right, exactly. Like I, like I can hit the water, look at the lake, and know exactly what colors I need to throw. Um, can I give you a chart on watercolor? Um, it would take me forever to figure it out. But you know, the, the funny thing is, is that your experience on the water, seeing these conditions, is what's going to give you the ability to go, "Hey, I remember there was this color tan in water, and June bug worked." And so you're just going to go right to the June bug. You're not even going to guess, second guess yourself until you a are not catching fish or you are smashing fish. That you is break it out every once in a while. There the color is. selector, the color selector, right there. Man, I remember that thing. And it you know is. what? Truth be told, I never actually used one. This one is in mint condition. I should break it out for the twenty three opens. <laughs> I think that's based on light penetration and water clarity, if I'm not mistaken. And then it gives you the most visible hue ranges in those uh, conditions, right? That's how that, that was the advent. I have no clue. I'm pretty sure that's Dr. Lauren Hill, Kenyon Hill's dad. Yeah, Kenyon's dad did that thing. Comes in the Fenwick box and everything. That's money. I think one one of our listeners sent this to Mark. That is money. You got to hang on to this memorabilia stuff. Yeah, well, that's Mark, so I'm sure he will. Oh, yeah, he'll have it. He's a collector of fine fishing antiquities. <laughs> he is. He's got a lot of stuff back there. All right, what else we got, Uncle Frank? I got a, almost a empty coffee mug. I know that. That means... Mm. NCX 
uh, DIY. Get them, drill them, experiment with them. You'll love it. It's a lot of fun. Um, don't forget about the Bank and Creek bundles for gifts. I had some guys DM me. They're they're already buying them and packing them up for Christmas and stuff like that. Now, I can't tell you they took the illustrations out or the discount cards or not, but, uh, you know, that's up to them. <laughs> I, I cannot neither confirm nor deny. All right. That was good stuff. I learned a lot. Really enjoyed it. We went an hour and a half today. A little bonus coverage. Bonus. Oh, bonus. Uncle Frank, one word, all caps, Powell Rod's website, 20% off. There you go. There you go. This has been another edition of Day 4 with the man, Frank Scalish, number 92. (laughs) We'll see you next week for number 93. We are out of here.